welcome to episode 31 of the Listen In Podcast, coming to you from a new recording studio. Jake. That's a big, big intro. We gotta we gotta build the magic here. We had a lot going on at the in the basement. We gotta we're now in Sean's room at the new house. But hey, first episode at the new house. We celebrated on Twitter today with an Aaron Carter gif. Aaron Carter, Aaron's party. Come and get it. It's lit. So we're in the new house. Mm-hmm. We moved in over the weekend. What to explain to the listeners what moving five people into a new house is like. I'll explain it this way. It's it's three U-Hauls worth of stuff yep. to move and like a total of maybe six stories yeah. here and there to move things down. Stairways, because uh, we moved into a three-floor uh, house and we moved Mitch, big friend of the pod. Big friend of the pod. Big, one of the OG friends. Actually, one of the few guests we've had on. Mm, mm-hmm. We moved him out of his third-floor apartment. We got a couch down a narrow set of winding stairs. Yep. Excuse me. Moving... Is no uh, no small task. Ain't no walk in the park. It's not rock and roll. Ain't noise pollution. Exactly. So, so I think yeah, that always is related. To what we had we're a talking about. busy, busy weekend with moving. We're relatively settled. I'd say we're like ninety percent settled. Just about. There's some rooms that are still figuring shit out with, but for the most part, we're settled. We have graduated from Sean's basement to Sean's bedroom. That's right. Um, we got a couch set up in here. We got the mic on a little nightstand. Jake's in a in a, like an old style chair. This is good. I like I like where we're at right now. I think now. it's gonna work out. Um, and and like we said, maybe new pods more often. Once yeah. We, now that we're here, yeah. now once we get a little settled, look for that in a few weeks. Maybe we have yeah. some shorter stuff coming up. Who knows? We'll, we'll jump on a hot mic every now and then. Sure. But moving is a, is an experience, and I um, you know, lot to get adjusted to. And uh, I'm, I'm glad we're here doing the show because it's really centering me. No, me too. It feels like it's a little routine yeah. in the sea of non-routine. In just the craziness. So let me let me bring this up. So when you're moving and when you're getting adjusted to living in a new space. So for me personally, when I was living by myself or I was living back at my parents' house, I would constantly be playing albums, podcasts, songs, whatever, at every free moment. That's not something you can necessarily do in this context, just because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I don't want to annoy people. I don't want to be blasting shit that they don't want to hear over my iPhone speakers. Right. And So the amount of music that I've listened to over the past week has been less. Yeah, it's been minimal for than me. Than normal. Um, need to find a better way to get back into the groove with that. So as you well. mean while you're here in the house or while you were moving, it was less? Both. 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 You don't just go headphones? I do normally. Well, it depends. Um, I will sometimes, but when we're in situations where it's like, oh, we're all in the kitchen, I shouldn't have headphones in and not speak to anyone. These are know? the things we have to figure out. Right. What is what's acceptable, what's not. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot we're living with, as we've said on previous episodes, five people. So, you know, and for all we know, this house is haunted, Sean. We've talked about It's not. This. It's not. No, I know for a fact it's not. No, I do too. Um, I, I don't believe it. Wait, do you believe in ghosts? I don't. Okay, good. Thank you. Because I think we're in a house with a bunch of other ghost believers. I think we are. We might be in the, we might be in the minority as... Wait, does Dizak believe in ghosts? I think he does. Really? Yeah. We are in the minority then. Well, I don't know. Mary-Kate seems to sort of flip-flop. Big friend of the pod. Oh, I thought she was all in on ghosts. Kind of. I don't know. I think talking with me about stuff has... I don't know how she okay. feels. I'll okay. I was going to say, I was going to be like, we might be in the minority of people If who... you're listening, Mary-Kate, give me a, shoot me a text and let me know. Let's figure out where we end up on that side of the fence. But... It could be three versus two. With that being said, 
new house. We have a lot of new topics to discuss. We do so, so many that I'm forgetting where we were supposed we to have, start. We have a segment. We have a new segment that we're, we're gonna, segments. that we're gonna introduce that this is gonna be a recurring segment on the show. It's called The Whitest Thing I Did This Week. Jake, I, you wanna give a little background for this segment? I do. So we have, I think this week we have the same whitest thing we did. And this is the impetus for doing um, this new segment. Yesterday, Sean and I with a few friends attended a Tallest Man on Earth concert. Okay, so already that's a pretty white thing to do. Mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. folk artist, a modern folk artist, going to see him live. So that's like pretty white. You're already like at a seven on the whiteness Richter scale. Um, we went to this concert in a park in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which for anyone who is listening and has no frame of reference is the most gentrified, just sort of like sort of hipstery white place in New Hampshire, yep. right on the seacoast. Actually, it's along it's, a bay. It's, it's a port town in New England, yeah. which by itself right there is already very white. But on top of this, like Jake said, it's insanely gentrified. Yeah. The rents are... It's the equivalent of... It's the New Hampshire equivalent of San Francisco rents. Yeah. Where it's just insane. I looked there. It's very, very expensive. I believe it. Um, I don't think there was a single minority at this concert. So that was the other thing I wanted to say is that I, I literally... Don't think there was. I looked around. I was like, I'm gonna look for one black person, right. one Asian person, one you know Indian person. Couldn't find any. Right. We were in. The, I don't think they exist in Portsmouth. I don't think they do either. And it's a concerning thing. That being said, the show was great. Show was really good. Can you talk a little bit about the show. Tallest man. Yeah. On Earth? So, tallest man on earth. I, so we're big fans of tallest Huge man. Huge fans. Um. I can really get down with what he's doing, his blend of like Bob Dylan folk with, you know, it like modern influences as well. The, the lyrics, about- the melodies. He started to incorporate fuller sounds um, more than just the single solo acoustic guitar. He's got a full band, some strings, violin, pedal steel. That kind of stuff is all awesome. I can really get down with that. Uh, what were your thoughts on the show? Yeah, I so going yesterday, we've seen The Tallest Man now twice. Twice, yep. And um, he's a really good performer. Uh, for anyone who doesn't yeah. have a frame of reference, like Sean said, he's sort of a folk artist um, who's progressed in sound from album to album. He started off really lo-fi recordings, um, just man and guitar type of stuff. And as the albums have progressed, his most recent one, Dark Bird is Home, which came out last year? 2015. Years Was it 15? Yep. Um, Last summer-ish. It's been a full band thing. So he's touring now with a full band. So he's playing songs from like his previous albums like The Wild Hunt. Um, and he's doing them with sort of a full band treatment. So what I liked was that about halfway through the show, the rest of the band hopped off the stage. And he was still doing some of that solo acoustic stuff. Whether he, Sometimes it was with an electric guitar. Like on Love Is All, he had an electric guitar going. But it was just him up there, which was really cool. It reminded me of what Zeppelin would do back with their shows where they would start out heavy and then they'd go and they'd start to do the folky acoustic stuff and they'd be doing things off Led Zeppelin 3. It reminded me of that, which was really, really cool. So, question for you. What was your favorite song he performed live? So my favorite... Um, he did a great version of The Wild Hunt, which was really slowed it, down. It was different. He did it finger-picked instead of strong. Yeah, it was really, really good. I thought Love Is All was great. I was going to say, my favorite was Love Is All. He played, yeah. um, it was just him on the stage, just played straight with a Telecaster, just on a clean yep. setting. 
Um, and it was like haunting. It was that's one of so good. His his uh, his best songs, I think. Yeah. So I had an interesting experience at this concert that actually has never happened to me at a show before. Um, I was walking around. I went to the bathroom. Gotta take a pee break. Gotta do it. You big gotta, friend of the pod. Big friend. Big. <laughs> pee breaks are big friends of the pod. Continue. They, they are. We rarely take them on the pod. Yeah. But they're big friends because you need them sometimes. So yeah. I, I go to you know. Do my my sinful business. <laughs> I'm leaving the bathroom and there's like a merch booth. I'm flipping through the records they have there, and a guy walks up and he he's asking the girl in the booth who just works there like year round. She works mm-hmm. there for all the artists that come through. He's like, "What's his most recent album?" He's pointing to the different records. He's like, "Which is his most recent?" And she's like, "Oh, I think it's this one." She points to the Wild Hunt. Oh. I was like. Get no, out no. of town. And luckily she had uh, had music police Jake there. Because <laughs> I, I was like, oh, no, 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 it's this one. Pointed to Dark, Dark Bird is home. And he's like, oh, thanks. He's like, so which is his best? I recommended The Wild Hunt. Which would you have recommended? I would also recommend The Wild Hunt. And that brings up an interesting question on his discography. I think most people agree that Tallest Man's best album is The Wild Hunt. That's how we got into him. I remember summer before we went off to college, we got into that. It was like a religious experience for us. It's still my favorite of his records. Me too. Yeah. Now, if you had asked me a couple months ago, you said, Sean, what's his second best? I would have said... There's no leaving now. His, Are you telling me you've changed his it? 2012 offering? Yeah, yeah. Or was it 13? I think I think it was 12. I think it was 12 as well. La- really quick side note about about There's No Leaving Now. That's one of the last albums I went out. I remember going out to buy it. I called Newbury uh, Comics ooh. in Nashua because I was like I couldn't find it in Manchester or something like that. And so I called them. and I was like, Do you have this tallest man on earth record? And they did, so I drove to Nashville to wow. buy the CD copy. A pre-Spotify of, uh, era Jake move. It sure was, and that that CD was in my car nonstop all summer. Yeah, so that's the thing is that why that one is my second favorite is that hit me in a good good point in my life. So where have was, you changed your second favorite? No, it's still technically my second favorite, but the gap has has slimmed. To Dark Bird is home is like right there. They might as well be even. Yeah. Dark Bird is Home, his most recent that came out in 2015, is all about him divorcing his wife. Yep. This album hits me in ways that I like can't really explain sometimes. There's certain songs on this album, particularly the last track, Dark Bird is Home, Slow Dance, Timothy, uh, Fields of Our Home. Certain songs on here, there's parts that just nowhere towns. wreck me. Because, you know, <laughs> like looking back, that album came out last summer last spring-ish summer. I went through uh, a relationship that ended, and now looking back, listening to that album, you know, both me and this particular person like Tallest Man, um, lots of memories associated with it, and I've attached those to this record as a kind of breakup record as well. So I I've, have an affinity towards this newest Tallest Man record that I didn't before. Yeah. Um, and I think it's closed the gap as what is my second favorite. Very interesting. So here's the thing that happened to me with Dark Bird is Home. I guess it would have happened with you too. Um, not you two, the band, Sean, just to clarify. Sure. You as well. Not the, the what's the cover band we have that needs a bass player? They're still looking. Oh, what shit. What are they called again? Uh... That's an inside joke that's fallen by the wayside. Yes, fuck. I don't remember. We'll Any we'll... long-time listeners of the pod tweeted in what that band was called that we mm-hmm. came up with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so with, with Dark Bird is Home, it came out like 
the day of or like the week of when we went to see him in concert. That's right. And so what I ended up doing and what I assume you did and what I think what a lot of our friends who we went with did was listen to that album on repeat, on repeat, on repeat for that week or four days, whatever we had. And so I kind of burnt myself out on mm. it. What happened was I was like, on the first few listens, I knew it wasn't my favorite Tallest Man album. I knew there were songs I liked, and I just could tell that it just it didn't quite stack up to the better stuff. But I was like, I like these songs enough, so uh, I'm going to enjoy the show. And I wanted to know the songs when I got there, and I did. But the result was, after the concert, I didn't feel much like listening. Right. And so it didn't have that organic thing. We talk about this all the time. Yeah. With The Wild Hunt, I sort of fell into that album over time, uh, gradually and organically. Right. Ooh, there was a motorcycle. That's going to... Yeah, Dude. it's going to pick up. Is that Shark Jock Jock leaving? That's Shark Jock leaving, yeah. He, he must probably, have crushed another few beers. I was going to say, he probably chugged a few yeah. of them. Yeah, stay tuned for Shark Jock. He makes an appearance yeah, on the after came show. In. It's, it's a, just a train wreck. Yeah. Just like he, yeah. That guy can't figure it out. No. He had nothing to offer. No. Oh, no, he just came and like kind of made fun of us again. And Didn't it's sad. Everyone stay tuned. Anyways, so what I was saying was with, with Dark Bird is Home, I feel like I kind of rushed my initial listens, never got as into it as I felt I should have. And as a result... Last year, I was listening to more records than ever before. Kind of fell by, by the wayside. But when I heard him perform the Dark Bird songs yesterday, and you sort of talking it up these past few days, it has made me more interested in revisiting it. Here's another thing I'll say that's not related to that album specifically. I can't think of an artist that's more unifying in our group of friends than Tallest Man on Earth. There's no artist who yep. we're like, if, if the concert's happening, like everyone's going. That's right. Everyone seems to be into it. it and... There, he's one of these artists who, if we meet someone who hasn't listened, he's one of the first recommendations. We're like, oh, have you listened to Tallest Man? Because it seems like whenever you recommend it, people are in on it and, and like him. Which is really interesting because I, I, I guess I don't totally understand why. Because like I love the Tallest Man on Earth, but I feel like I am predisposed to liking him. I, like I, I, kind of I music, understand why. But I know why. But here's the thing. Everyone first, this is what I was going to say, everyone first compares him to Bob Dylan. Right. Everyone initially is like, oh, he sounds like Bob Dylan. So many people I know shit on Bob Dylan. I love Bob right. Dylan. But so many people I talk to are like, I can't get into him. I don't like his voice. I don't like this. I don't like that. People end up loving Tallest Man. So I'm going to tell you why. There's a few different reasons. One of the reasons is his songs just generally are pretty catchy if you're inclined to folk music at all. Yeah. The second reason is he talks a lot about like just generally nature yeah. and like being outside and yeah. you really do connect with the songs and being outside and being from New Hampshire and having some great scenic things around us yep. we're very Pastoral. we're very inclined to relate to these songs the third reason and the most important reason is he writes songs that resonate emotionally very very well I'm gonna, I'm it's gonna, what I just said about Dark Bird people can associate their own experiences with what he's talking about even if his intention on these songs wasn't necessarily what you might get out of them he, he does a great thing and the National does this as well writing lyrics that are just general enough where they have their own meeting by themselves but you can associate your own meeting to them I'm going to clarify what I said so as to avoid misinterpretation I didn't mean like, I'm surprised anyone could ever like The Tallest Man on Earth. I meant, like, it's, to me, because of the way his voice sounds and stuff, and the way it, immediately anyone who ever listens to him for the first time is like, oh, Bob Dylan. Right. That's what everyone right, says. Right, right. What's interesting is that as I've gotten away from 
as I've listened to him more, I think about that way less. I almost never I think about it anymore because because I can tell their voices apart very easily. I can too because their subject matter is so different too. The subject matter is different, but also um, I think Christian Madsen, who is the tallest man, I actually think he has a, technically a stronger voice. I agree. I love I agree. Dylan. I'm not gonna. I'm not here to shit on Dylan. That's not. That's not me. Right. But um. But I think that tallest man has a really powerful voice, and what he does is he does this thing where he. When he's singing louder, there's this grit to it yeah. that I love. When yep. he like really gets behind a note and he digs into it, yep. um, there's this like awesome grit in his voice that always gets me. Agreed. Um, Agreed. That's not so Dylan-esque. I think that the thing is, is he sings with the nasally delivery. He's obviously inspired by Folkies. And oh, he's yeah. inspired by Dylan. I think the more you listen to Tallest Man albums and get into his you know, sort of discography and understand more about him and what his lyrical themes are, I think that the disconnect with Dylan becomes more apparent. I agree. I would agree. It's not, it's not, he's not a Dylan ripoff. No, 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 you know, I for think, sure. He's carved out his own voice and who he is. And I guess sure. that's why I'm saying initially I'm surprised because Dylan is so polarizing. A lot of people dislike him straight up. I know. And so if you're like, and that's what I guess I don't get is if you're like, oh, listen to Tallest Man on Earth, kind of like Dylan, kind of folky, and they listen and they hear like, this guy sounds just like Bob Dylan, why is someone like inclined to like him? You know what I mean? Right. I guess that's what I'm confused by. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But that I guess his sense. music's good enough that makes to, sense. to transcend that. Yep. So that was the whitest thing we did this week. Right. And so we'll, we'll, we got away from the segment a little bit, but we'll get back to this in later episodes. So basically, this could be anything from going to brunch at all. <laughs> yep. From like doing what we did, going to like a literally all white concert, um, to, to any number of things. Could be anything. Yeah, could, could be, be anything. anything. The whitest thing I did this week. New segment, book it. I do want to bring up a follow up point about that show that we went to. So, bring it up. hit me. This was at a place where a lot of people we knew were also at. So we ended up seeing a lot of acquaintances, people we went to college with, high school with. I saw some coworkers. Saw you saw a lot of coworkers. Saw three coworkers. That that ex girlfriend in question. I was nervous the entire time about potentially running potential into her. Potential run in. Potential run in. That's panic. In a, That's in a bottle. panic inducing for sure. You basically went and donated because this was a donations concert, which we t- we should talk yeah. about too. The difference between like why not just have people pay. I, I went and donated to maybe have a panic attack. That's what I was going to say. You basically donated $8 to potentially panic. Yep. Yeah. I ended up seeing uh, another girl I used to work with who I'm very good friends with. Ended up talking to her. So I ended up... Big we, friend of the pod. Big friend of the pod. Big shout to Lauren. Big friend of the pod. Um, we ended up seeing a lot of different people that we knew. What is your reaction, Jake, when you're in a situation where you're like, oh, there's people around who I know. I don't really want to talk to them. What's, what's your thoughts on this? I... Immediately go into fight or flight mode, and by that I mean flight or flight, which means I avoid them at all costs. So it was a different thing yesterday where one of my coworkers was there. I have no reason to like avoid her, and I was also with someone else who was a coworker. Yeah. If it was just me yeah. alone, I might have been, ooh, just let her walk by, don't bother. Right, me. right. But I actually went up and talked to her, and everything always goes fine. But I saw a bunch of friends from like high school, from oh, college. Yeah. Yep. And I sort of didn't make an effort to right. there's certain yeah, there's certain people in this context who you're you're absolutely fine with talking to, you're happy to talk to them. That was the situation with me. But there were certain people that we went to high school with who I actively dude, there was at one point where a couple people we went to high school with were ten feet away from us to yeah. our right, who I was just like tunnel vision, I'm not looking at you. Right. Hopefully you don't look at me. 
We're not going to talk. I distinctly remember that. Big friends of the pod. But the thing Couple is, friends of the pod. When you go to a show like this, this was an all-time See People I Know concert. Mm. And I don't know what people, what listeners and what friends of the pod think, but I'm an all-time big uh, sort of avoid, avoid people, people I know. I'm a person who, if I'm in a, a supermarket and I look down an aisle and I see an, an acquaintance at work... It, you can honestly be close enough. You can be as close to me as an acquaintance. If you're like a really good friend, I'll say hi. Right. But if you're an acquaintance to a halfway friend, I'll avoid you at all costs. I will too. I'll hide in, in, I'm the, there too. in the fucking cheese freezer. Does that freezer. make us assholes? There's no such thing as a cheese freezer, by the way. There are cheese fridges. I don't know if it makes us assholes. I think it makes us sort of... Uh, socially, socially anxious? Right. Yeah, a little anxious. Is this an indication that maybe we need to like not be in the same state area that we grew up? It's a really good question. And the thing is, is that yesterday at the concert, at the Tallest Man on Earth, I was struck by just how many people like his music. I, know, I saw yes, a lot that, of people yep, I recognized. Yep. Had to have been like 10 people from, mm-hmm. from UNH, where I went to school. Big, big shout to, to a friend of the pod. <laughs> <laughs> University of New Hampshire. Um, but I saw a bunch of people and avoided almost all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think I think. Uh, Let us know. Tweet at us. Be like, hey, do you avoid people out when you see them? Yeah. Like if they're if they're not your good friends, if they're an acquaintance, like you you like them well enough, they're okay, they're fine. Do you go out of your way to find them? Are you one of those psychopaths, or are you someone who's I'm gonna sit back and I'm gonna just do my own thing? Let that's, us know. That's us 100%. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to talk about is this donation thing. Yeah. Yeah, so okay. You're, yeah. you're at a concert. First of all, I've been to one of these before. So I'm sure there's an equivalent wherever you live, Friends of the Pod, whoever's out there listening. There, it's a concert in a park, and there was no official amount you had to pay. But as you walk up, there's people taking donations, and they have a sign that says suggested donation, $8. VIP donation. Who knows what the fuck that means? $10. And so... We donated eight bucks each. Actually, I think Mitch donated two dollars because that's all he had. Mm. Um, but I don't understand because if you don't donate, they kind of give you the stink eye. I remember mm. last year I went with I met my grandmother there, and we I didn't have any cash, so I just walked in and I got kind of a, a sort of a, a, a an angry stare. Why not just charge in this situation? So because people are gonna go. I think I think the argument there is. The city is putting it on by itself. They have a budget already for this that's allocated. Yeah. If they can recoup any of that cost through donations, fine. But I don't think they're in a place where they can actually charge for it, like, legally. Uh, 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 like, for a tax purposes? Because it's, like, city money. Because you're... T- as a as a citizen of that town, yeah. I think you're technically already paying for it. Well, but that's your the taxes. thing, dude. Like almost I, so many of the people I saw don't live in Portland. Exa- no, exactly. I know, and that's why they do the donation. But here's the other thing. This is another thing I thought of. Tallest man on earth is going to be the most popular thing they have mm. all summer. Mm-hmm. If you have somebody in there who's not necessarily as well known, has no sort of uh, fan base, because that was the biggest I've seen. One yeah. of those it was that, packed. Yeah, they were going up on a on a on a Wednesday. Um, yeah. But usually, like I went to one last summer for this guy Brett Denon. Have you heard of him? No. Similar, not similar really, but he plays sort of like folky. I think pop they songs. mostly do like folky yeah. stuff at those concerts in the park because they do stuff that uh, white people will enjoy. Exactly. Um, they know their target know audience. They man. sure do because I enjoyed the hell out of that show. I... But but anyways, uh, I think with shows like that where fewer people are showing up, like they really need the donations because otherwise, like how right. are they going to put it on? Exactly. I mean, I know that there's probably tax money yeah. involved. And stuff. It is an interesting dichotomy though, where it's like, well, 
this is technically free, but you're asking for a donation. It's like implied that you need to donate. I saw plenty of people just like either a hopping over the like the little fence that they had, or just walking Did straight you? past. Oh yeah. Maybe I'm just too honest. Yeah. I don't know. I feel bad. Like it's like oh, I can spare eight bucks like for this concert for this free concert for this artist that, I really like. If I were in college, I would need money for Domino's later that night. That's true. For pizza. That's true. Because I didn't have much money in college. I actually don't remember. There was a point sophomore year of college where I think I had pizza every single night <laughs> somehow paid for pizza yep. despite my unlimited dining pass. Right. Big shout to to Spencer, a friend of the pod, who. Got pizza with me every night. I, and I, what I'm saying is, I don't know where I found the money because I didn't have a job. Right. But I would scrounge up somehow five dollars and like there's change. A, there was a point in college where I had like a hundred dollars to my name. Me too. Yeah. Less. Yeah. I would end semesters of college with with twenty dollars or less in my bank. Yeah. I was just okay with that. I was not. I would freak me out. I'd be like, oh, I'll I'll get more. Go work be the fine. movie theater. Yeah. Anyways, that's the whitest thing I did this week. It's a long segment. Um, yeah. It'll usually be shorter. It'll be shorter. It'll be shorter. But uh, so we have had a couple albums that we've really gotten yes. into the past week or so. One of them being the new Mitski album, Jake. So this is one that came out previously to us moving out. It was at the end of June. Um. It took us a week or two to really, really dive in and get into it. But this past week, we've been listening a lot. What are your thoughts on this album? I really enjoy it. And I'll tell you what happened was we started working on our best albums of the year so far list. That's right. Right around the time it came out. And big friend of the pod, Ryan, had it on his list as one of his favorites of the year. And at that point, I'd only listened once. I didn't feel qualified to say whether it was in my top ten, whatever. I'm not sure where it lies now, but but this is a really interesting album, and I don't have any frame of re- reference for what Mitski is about. Do you, have you listened to previous never, work no, by her? Never listened. So, I actually, don't even know where she's from. I don't know either. I can't here's, say with confidence. Here's the thing: this comes down to preparedness. Preparedness. We did. This it, is a theme for us. Yeah. If there, if it wasn't readily apparent, there no research went into this portion of the podcast. Right. Um. But but so this album came out. It's called Puberty Two. Um. Which I think is a really interesting album title. It's funny because it's like, where's Puberty 1 at? Yeah, where's that? What happened to that? Or, or is it like, okay, I've had my first puberty as actual in my life. And then you're going through Puberty 2, which is like maybe in your mid-20s where you're figuring shit out. Like about like where we're about to hit. Dude, I'm fairly certain Jacques's doing donuts out there. Jacques is doing fucking laps on his hog. So, this Mitski record is she's. I guess you could define it as sort of a singer songwriter type of thing. Yeah. But she implements some interesting sounds. A lot of electric guitars on here, um, and just the songwriting is really interesting. Some sort of disturbing lyrical themes. I think. Yeah. So a song like Happy, for yeah. example. Yeah. The the opening track. Yeah, on Happy, there's a lyric that says, "Happy came inside of me." The whole story, what I gather from the lyrics is the first lyric is happy came to visit he bought cookies on the way it's sort of about this boyfriend slash maybe hookup she had who would come over and um like treat her nicely and then just leave maybe Mm -hmm. there's some manipulation involved Mm -hmm. um a lot of lyrics on this record feel like uh sort of about what it's all about to be a woman growing up in um America and just like trying to fit in because the other aspect of this is that Mitski is Asian. That's right. And so she has the song Your Best American Girl, for example, where 
I think that song's all about trying to fit in and yeah. trying to figure out like what do I have to do to yeah. to get by here yeah. to be your best American girl. Yeah. I think like sonically, musically, there's some really interesting stuff on here. Some use of horns, some interesting sort of guitar tones. So like on a song like Dan the Dancer, there's the thing that comes in. I don't know if it's a harmonica or what it is. If it's a guitar tone or a keyboard tone, yeah. some interesting sounds going on. Um, well, what's interesting is when I first heard <laughs> a Mitski song, it was "Your Best American Girl." I was like, "Ooh, this song rips! This like this rocks pretty hard. This is awesome." And I was I was expecting the rest of the album to be like that, and it's actually pretty diverse in what the sounds are doing. It really, they really is. It, yeah. You you differ between a song like. Um, once Loving Feeling and Best American Girl that are like more straight ahead rockers and then you go to something like Happy which is a little more subdued uh, Crack Baby Fireworks songs like that that are a little more dialed back A Loving Feeling is like a minute and a half of like it's sort of just a straight ahead pop punk almost sound yep. and then you have something like like you said Happy where it has sort of effects on the vocals Distorted horns come into the mix. It's uh, sort of a, a longer. It's three and a half minutes long. You have songs like um, "I Bet on Losing Dogs and Fireworks," which yeah. are quick, short, sort of melancholy uh, affairs. Yeah, um, it, it is. A, it's a, a varied mix, and I got to be honest. So the first few listens, when I first gave this album a try, I maybe listened four or five times. That first week or two, it came out, and I didn't quite fall in love with it. But you know what happened is some of these songs proved to be earworms a little bit. And I, this past week, have listened a lot. They are. Um, and I'm glad we're giving it some shine because I it feel deserves like, it. Well, it got caught in that liminal space yeah. between June and July where we ranked our albums and we it wasn't really on our radar, so we didn't listen yeah. a lot. So technically, this is a first half of the year album. Right. And if we were going to go back and say, where would this fall? It would probably be a top 10 for me. Yeah. It'd I, be like right there. I, have, I need to look at the list. To be confident in saying that, but I would be confident in saying it's top fifteen. Yeah, I'd be confident in saying that. There are a lot of songs that, like looking at the track list, I really love "Happy," "Dan the Dancer," "Fireworks," "Your Best American Girl," "I Bet on Losing Dogs," "Thursday," "A Loving Feeling." Like, that's like half the track list or more that I I love all those songs. Yeah, yeah. Um, least favorites, "Crack Baby." I gotta say, me and too. I, and we've been talking about this. The sort of glaring error with this record is the fact that. Crack Baby's five minutes long is the longest song on the album, and to me, it's by far the least interesting. Yeah. Just melodically and yeah. like I don't know, lyrically, yeah. there's not a ton going on. I like, I don't dislike the song. And you asked me earlier. You said, "Is this a better album without that song?" It's a good question. I don't know because it's like it's still it's not a bad song though. It's still good. It's I don't still fine. Skip it. I don't right, skip it. Right. It, it would then become so. Say we do that. It's five minutes gone, so this 31-minute album, which is already short, becomes a 26-minute album. And you jump from a loving feeling to a burning hill. That's a jarring That's transition. That's jarring. Because you, you I kind of look at those last two tracks as, as almost two parts together. They complement each other. Right. I think all I wish happened was, say you take a song like Fireworks, which is 2 minutes 38 yeah. seconds... Expand that to five minutes. Sure. Or I Bet on Losing Dogs, which is not even three minutes. Yeah. Or Dan the Dancer, which I love, which is less than two and a half. Yeah. Make one of those like five minutes. Make Crack Baby more of an idea. Because he, I don't know, maybe I'm missing the point of Crack Baby. There might be something more there. I don't know. I don't know. I would agree. I agree with that sentiment, though, where it's it's one of my least favorites. But yeah. overall, I really, really like this album. And if you haven't listened to it, or if you only listened a few times, I 
suggest that you go back and you really dive in because it's is actually really great. It got caught in that it's not going to be on many halfway through the year lists. It, it, it was though. It was. Was it really? It was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I didn't. Maybe I didn't read enough. I mean, the thing is, is like big it was shot, on a lot. Big shout to Ryan for having it on his. Yeah. The other album that we wanted to give a little shine, and this is so I think. Recent. So this is one I think this is a very important album yeah. considering the events of the past few days that have gone on. Uh, and this is Freetown Sound by Blood Orange. So if you're not familiar with who Blood Orange is, he is an R&B artist. He is a he's a black and he's he's gay, right? I'm pretty sure I he is. I didn't have that. I didn't I didn't know that. R&B artist um lives in England, but he has his finger on the pulse, I guess you could say, of what's happening racially in America right now. Sure. Um, so this new album, Freetown Sound, deals a lot with what just the black experience is like in America. It deals a lot with um, feminist themes. Uh, and overall, I, I would say that th- this is... It is reflective of the same themes that To Pimp a Butterfly um, came out with last year. It feels like that type of important album. It's really, really good. The songwriting is there. There's there's some just straight up catchy songs. There's some songs that make you think. It is 17 tracks, around 52-ish minutes. 58. 58 minutes. About an hour. Um, what are your thoughts on 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 Freetown Sound by so Blood Orange? I've, I've been doing a real deep dive of this, so I didn't listen at all over the weekend because of the move, the big move. See, uh, what's interesting? That was the one album I was able to listen to over the move. When I was arranging shit in my room, I was like, I'm putting on Freetown Sound. I didn't start really listening until we were settled, um, and so it. I, this week, I've listened several times, and. Uh, Sort of what I'm gathering is, like, I'm picking up on those lyrical themes you're speaking to, but the interesting thing that's happening to me with this record is, like you said, it's 17 tracks, and the it's such a thoroughly imagined record where everything flows so well from track to track that my first, I'd say, five, six, I don't know how many listens, it just, to me, like, blurred as, like, one long song. It kind of felt like mm. one big experience, one hour-long mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sort of record, and I've only recently started to gather thoughts about what songs are favorites or sure. whatever. But I, I mean, this is a really interesting album, and I would I'd actually draw comparisons to like it's almost like if to Pip a Butterfly, some of the jazzier free, yes. free jazz yes. elements of that met. To me, I compare it to to Channel Orange by Frank Ocean, where you hear these little ideas strewn throughout. It's almost like. Um, what's his name? Dev Hines. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, the mm-hmm. name of the, the the Christian name of Blood Orange. Yeah. Um, he wasn't dubbed Blood Orange by Mama and Papa. By Orange. birth, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's filling it with all these different melodic ideas. So, like an example is the last track on Better Numb. There's this moment where it kind of all cuts out, and you hear static, and you hear maybe 15 seconds of this funky little beat, and him singing over it. It's one of my favorite parts of the whole record, and it, it reminds me of how on Channel Orange you hear some of these songs where Frank would mix in just little bits of songs. Yeah. And the album kind of just feels like a bigger experience musically yep. than... So, I mean, I know what some of the songs... Like, EVP is one of the, the highlight tracks for me. I also really like Juicy 1 through 4. It's 1, 2. It, it's the one with Empress Of on it. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the third track. It's Best To You. Yeah, that's one of my favorites as well. So, one of my favorite things that he does, and he has actually said this himself, is that he feels more comfortable... 
um, writing for women and writing about women. He just feels better about it. He's like, I like them better. They're, they're better people. To and be honest with you... He's not wrong. I can't disagree with no, Dev on that. No, and it's... Big friend of the pod. Some of... Jesus <laughs> Calling him by his first name. I think this might be the all-time friend of the pod episode. I think I've said it six times. Yeah. Um, but some of my favorite songs on here are dealing with themes about feminism or when. Like the first track, um, By Ourselves, is about... It's literally about like feminism and what it means to be comfortable with yourself as a woman or as a black woman and some of the other songs that he's written on here like you have empress of you have uh debbie harry from blondie on here making an appearance so what track is she on because i missed that uh, it's it's on the first half i don't remember which one it is specifically i, I gotta be honest with you, I, that, she's on this though um but so one of my favorite things is that he is writing for women giving them a voice and just a lot of those themes really come across on the album on top of the fact that he's talking about the black experience and what people deal with. Like, for example, at the end of Love Ya, there is, it's, I think it's an author. He's talking about how... He should dress. Yeah, it's about, it's about how he should dress and how a particular way that he dresses will come across to other people. And it might, they might feel threatened by how he dresses based he's on the color of his skin. Like, should I wear my jeans baggy? How should I wear my hat? Yeah, like, he's like, should I have a hoodie on? Should right. I do this? Should I do that? It just talks about all the considerations you have to have in mind if you're going to be a black right. person in the world or in the U.S. or whatever. And then later on, there's a song called Hands Up, and it's a refrain of, like, hands up, don't shoot. You know, it's it's so relevant to what has happened the past few days with... I mean, it just seems like a never-ending stream and cycle of violence against black people by uh, by cops. It's yeah. really, really sad. It's it's unfortunate that it's so relevant, but it is. It continues to be. Yeah, I think that this is one of those albums that's coming along. It's like what To Pimp a Butterfly did last year, where it um it sort of captures that mood, yep. and everybody can kind of get on board with it. Yep. Um, like if you look at To Pimp a Butterfly, like um, All Right ended up yeah. being a like an anthem. a rallying cry yeah. for the events that were happening at that time. And it's unfortunate that a year later we're in the same exact situation. I agree. and I mean, I think, so for me, my favorite thing that's sticking out about this record is like obviously all those things that we, you just mentioned. It's obviously seeming to be a very important record. And the prob- the, the hard thing for me is like, I mean, we just had a segment called The Whitest Thing I Did All Week, right? We just talked about our us traveling to Portsmouth, New Hampshire to a concert in the park by the bay to watch a folk singer. My experience is so far removed from right, that. Right, What I can immediately understand and totally get behind and really enjoy is the music on here. So, like, obviously, right. I, I support the lyrical themes that are going on on the record. I, I enjoy that someone is saying something about it. And that it's out there and it's being it's being publicized and that this is being recognized as important for it. But it's interesting. I it for me what resonates is the music, and mm-hmm. I have a hard time relating totally to it. Well, I, that, I, it's important. That's I, the thing is I'm not we, saying that in a negative we way. Can't relate no. to it. And that is, I guess, the same issues that I had with Tip to, to Pimp a Butterfly was I recognize how great this is musically and I recognize how important this is thematically and yeah. subject wise but I as who I am 
can't fully like that. Like this is not music for me. I fully am aware of that. We're not the target demographic. No, it, but the thing is, like I, this music doesn't belong to me either. This belongs to the people who are dealing with this on a day by day basis. Yeah, that's the thing, and is- that's who it's really gonna matter for and resonate with. I can appreciate it in in my own way, in an empathetic way or sympathetic way where I'm saying, look, I understand and recognize the shit that you are dealing with and it sucks and I'm happy that there's an album like this that's bringing up these themes and making people like us talk about it. What's interesting is that for us, we hear a record like this and we understand the rhetoric around it. We understand what people are saying about it. There's no way for it to really hit home the way it will for someone else. Like We can't understand what the experiences of a person who lives in maybe South Chicago, lives in a, a sort of a uh, systematically ghettoized area in a major city and and uses this album or albums like it as refuge, as yeah. like something that they really, they go to and like, maybe they have a family member who was killed, maybe they have a family member who's involved in drugs and that's all they have ever known. Yeah. And and this is an album that speaks to that experience. It's, it, it, it The music speaks to what they know and the thing is like we as the two of us we can't pretend so I, th- 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 which is a sort of a, a clumsy way of asking this next question which is when you listen to a record like this or to pimp a butterfly do you feel a little bit of white guilt creep in do you feel of course i do do you feel of a little course. bit of fraudulence of course i do of course i, feel I do a bit of a fraud when because I to you this you can't not recognize that the subject matter on this album is dealing with things that I will never even begin to fully understand. Right. You can say, yeah, I, I understand what you're talking about. You don't really get it, though. You no. don't get it. Because you mentioned, like, yeah, you could be from these hotbed areas of, you know, tension and unrest. Dude, I, an album like this or an album like To Pip a Butterfly, I think, is, it, it doesn't know any bounds of it's just if you are a black person no matter where you live i think you can relate to the themes that are on this because even if you're in new hampshire like you just had us talking about oh there wasn't any you know minorities at this concert we went to it's like what well maybe why do you think that is like maybe they don't feel comfortable there or like you know like people everywhere are going to be able to relate to the themes that are on this album yeah and that's why for me when we talk about records like this it's like I, we're, I, we're not we're not qualified to really speak to it in a, no, in any way, and that's why I say I love it musically and I appreciate all that that is trying to be said here. But when I listen to it, I, I almost get a tinge of I feel like I'm a little bit of a fraud. Yeah, oh, listening yeah. to it yep. because when I hear it, yep. I'm like this isn't really for me. Right. Um, but that being said, I mean I think that anyone who's listening to the podcast that likes similar stuff to what we seem to be into would dig this if you like I think if you like Frank Ocean I think if you like Kendrick Lamar this is right up your alley Absolutely. musically it's right Absolutely. up your alley and and you know if you have any inkling of of caring about you know sort of the the major crisis that's happening with race in our country that continues to happen um you know these are the musicians who aren't turning a blind eye to it and who are trying to publicize it it's really important stuff um so I mean I strongly recommend giving this a listen. And honestly, I still look forward to listening some more. Like a lot more. Yeah. Let me ask you this, John. So just in terms of the music on here, what what's your favorite song? Favorite song is um It's Best to You. It's Best the one you. that's featuring Empress of. Yeah. That, uh, I think that's the most straight ahead, just like honestly, it's just a straight ahead pop song. You are, um if I'm if uh, I'm talking about some follow up ones, it's E V P, it's Love Ya, uh it's Juicy One Through Four. 
Those are some of my favorites. Those are all up there for me. You know what is sneakily my favorite? And this is probably weird because I looked through the, the top on Spotify. It's not on there. It's actually the second to last track I know. Ah, I okay. love on this. And here we go because this is this is um, obviously what's going to resonate with me. It's like the piano on there. Yeah. It's the little riffs he's playing with piano. And maybe it's fitting somehow that it's not a song where lyrically a, a ton happens. But it's musically my favorite track. I also, EVP is up there. The one you mentioned, Best to You, is up there. Yep. Um, Empress of is great on that. <clears throat> so, did you listen, to, by the way, to that Empress of album last year? I did. It was really good. I didn't listen a lot, but I listened I liked a couple it. times. It was I good. enjoyed it. It was good. So it's funny that you bring up a song that isn't super popular yeah. as one of your favorites. Because that reminds me of the conversation we were having earlier yes. about TV on the radio. So... So, a little context for this. New segment. Wait. New segment. Wait, yeah. Lay it on us. This is a new segment. Uh, so, in addition to um, the whitest thing I did all week, which we'll try to update here and there when we can, this is a new segment, Agree to Disagree. Yeah. Um, and so, this came up earlier when Sean baited me with a couple texts oh, yeah. about... Uh, so, let me, get, let me give context. Let me give context. So, this week is the 10th anniversary of Return to Cookie Mountain coming out, which is TV on the radio's second album. It's considered their breakthrough album probably their best album by by many it's considered so i i read a piece on stereo gum today about it it was really really good gave some context for it i i ended up listening to it again today because it uh, like you know what i think any good retrospective anniversary piece makes, that makes me want to go back and listen of course did a good job writing that piece and it made me want to go back and listen so a lot I, of times when I listen to something like that it makes me want to hear it yeah like for example I listened to Mark Marin's interview with uh, Open Mike Eagle today yep I immediately listened to his new yep. record yep so I went back and I listened to Return to Cookie Mountain um, I ended up texting Jake I said do you like Dear Science their, their follow -up. third album their follow up which was the one that we originally got into. Yeah. Um, or do you like Return to Cookie Mountain better? And I said to you, Sean, my pick is Dear Science, and I'll tell you why. I brought up that Dear Science came out at a an age where I was just getting into indie music, and Dear Science by TV on the Radio was the first indie record that I saw a review for. I remember distinctly. I read it in Rolling Stone. A magazine, a print magazine, yep. those still existed then. Yep. <laughs> and I went out and I bought it at Best Buy with you, Sean, and That's with right. with, uh, with Greg. Um, <laughs> not a friend of the pod. Not a friend of the pod. And, um, and so it has a special place in my heart. That being said, it has similarly good reviews to Return to Cookie Mountain. It does. Now, I said that I like Return to Cookie Mountain better because I think that it is a more consistent album overall, song by song. There's certain songs on Dear Science that I think lag a little bit. Those are being Lover's Day, Red Dress. I think they're, they're fine songs. They're good songs. I get a little tired of them after repeat listens. Return to Cookie Mountain, what it's doing on that album, to me, is they're integrating a lot of interesting sounds, some horns, some different... Um, electronic blips and bloops on there and Wolf Like Me is the centerpiece of that album which this was our real point of contention where I said to you that Wolf Like Me is far and away better than any song on Dear Science not only did you disagree with me you disagree that it's even the best song on Return to Cookie Mountain which blew me away because it is 
just kind of taken for granted that Wolf Like Me is probably their TV on the radio's best song. Well, that's... Uh, and this is the name of the segment, Agree to Disagree. That's people who play by the book, Sean. That's right. Here's the thing. I'm a, I'm a fan of TV on the radio. I like these two records. And just because Wolf Like Me is supposed to be their best song doesn't mean it has to be my favorite. Right. My, no, which is fair. Absolutely. Right. And, Absolutely. And, and on, on uh, Return to Cookie Mountain, I think I'd rather listen to I Was a Lover. I'd rather listen to Province. Um, I'd rather listen to what's the name of the last track? I'm blanking on what the name of the last song is. Wash. Wash the day. Wash the day. And I think no small part of that is I've heard Wolf Like Me a billion times, but I still obviously really like Wolf Like Me. And this comes back to the discussion of best in quotes. What's best, and then what do you like the most? Right. So maybe Wolf Like Me is the song that got all the attention. It's the one that's considered the best. To me, that could be a product of anything. That could be a product of it was sort of the one that got the most recognition at the time. Right. It's the most remembered from that record. I also said that I like songs off Dear Science better than that. I'd rather listen to uh, Golden Age. I'd rather listen to Crying. I, Crying's I, a great song. I would probably rather listen to Halfway Home. Crying's my favorite on Dear Science. And I think um, that what I like about Dear Science so much is that I think it's where TV on the radio turned a corner a little bit from what they did with Return to Cookie Mountain which was sort of art house a little bit of noise sort of the the post-punk mixed with sort of R&B elements and sort of you know they were doing sort of an art house experimental thing and they found just the right to me just the right corner of pop and that sound. Mm -hmm. There are so many songs on Dear Science that I would be really excited to listen to any time. Mm -hmm. And all I can say is that as good as um, as I really do think Cookie Mountain is, I just have it's the sentimental connection to Dear Science. It has to do a lot with it's the one of the first indie records I ever bought. I've listened to a million times. I've really never gotten tired of it. Mm -hmm. You could pop it on any time and I'd enjoy it. Also, I just think the strength of the songs are really there. And I think it's a classic discussion of best albums when like they get ranked. I think a lot of times the art house album has a tendency to be inflated over the album that where they where an artist trends towards Sure. It. What I'll say though is I'm not just being like, oh, Cookie Mountain's the trendy pick here. It's I'm not saying necessarily trendy. I think it's more interesting musically because when you're looking at the production that's on an album like Cookie Mountain like look at the horns on I Was a Lover there's horns and throughout uh, I know but Dear Science what too. ends up happening on Dear Science I was talking with uh, with Ian former guest Bruno Boyne about this today and he was saying when TV on the radio first came out he said I thought they were going to change everything I, he was, I was so excited about that first EP and that first record just with the doo-wop things the that they the were doing what's the name of the first record again? Uh, Desperate Bloodthirsty Babes. Yeah, Desperate Youth, Bloodthirsty yeah, Babes. Yeah, and um, the, the first EP, The Young Liars, which is really, really good. So he's like, I thought they were going to change everything, you know, just the things that they were doing. And what he said, and he even had this criticism about uh, Cookie Mountain, was that um, the production starts to get really clean and just too... It, it gets away from some of the interesting noise, doo-wop things that they're trying to do, and it gets to be super processed and I you can absolutely see this on like Nine Types of Light or their newest one which is seeds. they're not as yeah seeds they're just not as interesting well, and you start to see that happening on Dear Science I'm not saying that makes those songs bad at all because they're great they're insanely catchy I think Dear Science 
is the culmination of their past selves and what they became melding into like a perfect sound. You can see that coming after though, and I totally get what he's saying about it. it's like they abandoned this earlier sound on nine types of light and, and seeds. See, and actually, like, you just said what basically is my argument, right. but in a negative way, which is just that um, Dear Science, to me, is that perfect blend of mm-hmm. what they're doing on those early records and then where they end up going later. What I'm and, s- and, and, and with Dear Science, I didn't have a con- an emotional tie yep. to what they should be theoretically or and to that, what okay, TV on the is, radio or to what TV on the radio This is the thing I actually is, is more interesting to me about in out of context what's the best album discussion because what's really interesting to me is Dear Science was one of the first quote unquote prestige indie albums that we got into and what I mean by that is one of these albums that gets rave reviews by everybody. It's a, a hot in the streets release for the time. This seems to happen weekly now just because we're so plugged into what's coming out. But at the time, Dear Science by TV on the radio seemed like this transcendent release where it was like, you have to listen to this. Yeah. We were, what, 16, 17 years old at the time? Right. That even reached us as people who weren't super plugged in or aware of music at the time we said okay this is an album that we should be listening to it's important it got great reviews that is the more interesting thing to me and that is our frame of reference for tv on the radio more so than those past releases like we have no context for return to cookie mountain right not as much and i think what i go back to on this one it's interesting it's something that you usually harp on a lot it's the emotional connection for me as good as Return to Cookie Mountain might be, you know, I'll you can never trade what I have with with Dear Science. It's one of the first records where I ever was like, okay, this is a contemporary band. I'm actively making an effort to go buy this record and and try and listen and understand what some of the trends are. And at the time, TV on the radio. The funny thing is, is now they see it seems pretty. It's routine. it's so accessible. Right, it seems really accessible, but at the time. This I was like, ooh, this is this sort of noise slash experimental band. Four out of five members are black, which made me feel so cool and progressive at the time. And that was the whitest thing I did this week. That was the, that's what I'm saying. That, well, no, dude, that was the whitest thing I did in 2008. Right. The whitest thing I did in 2008 was get into TV on the radio right. and then think... It was I, pretend like I got TV on the radio. And think I was cool because four out of the five members yep. were black. I mean, I guess what it comes down to is this, is that I think there's this dichotomy with a lot of bands. There are records where I think you could really make an argument that either Cookie Mountain or Dear Science is their best album. I really think mm-hmm. you could make a strong argument mm-hmm. either way. Absolutely. And, and then what it comes down to is, do you want out of them what was their sort of thesis statement that people interpreted early on in their career, what TV on the radio should be, or what TV on the radio actually became, in my opinion, on their own terms? And I just think that you could. I think it's it's too sort of didactic to say that um, that Dear Science is more of like the hits record or it's more of the the pop singles record because I think it holds together real well as an album. I think that even though there's I think there's more songs on it that I just like straight up just as songs and I think that the songwriting is tighter, the melodies are stronger, they're more tuned in to. Well, that's the thing though. We're talking about which album do you like better if you're talking about which songs hold up by themselves no, better no, 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 yeah no. i would agree that there's that the individual songs no. on dear science 
are better out of context. No, because the point I'm making, Sean, is that not. I think that all like I think that if you took both albums and I guess strip them of the production, right? Just say that for example. I just took the songs, but you can't. Do I know that. you can. That's I know you the can. thing. I'm just saying, do this for a second. I think they're, and this is what I'm saying I like about Dear Science, I think they're writing better songs on Dear Science, and I think the production's not so radically different that it's then made worse. Sure, but like... It's still TV on the radio, and it's my favorite sound of this. But you're taking out things that make those songs on Cookie Mountain great for what they are. What I'm saying... That's the thing. It's not fair to be like, well, take out this strength, and, you know, you can't do that. I understand that, but what I'm saying... I'm just trying to explain to you what I love so no, much. I, no, yeah. What yeah. I love so much about Dear Science, which is that I think the songwriting is strong as fuck on that album. Yeah. I think the, they are better songwriters two years after they released Cookie Mountain, and they've really they've had some notoriety, some fame. Bowie was on a record with them. That's I think, right. I That's think right. At Dear Science, they became stronger overall songwriters, and I think that they were just they're writing better melodies. I think more memorable melodies, and and look. Here's the thing that always happens with these debates, with agree to disagree, is, is, that, it, yeah. is that this now sounds like Sean doesn't like Dear Science and I don't like Return to Cookie Mountain, which couldn't be further from That's the right. truth. That's I bet right. if we ranked them right now based on criteria, we'd be insanely close. It would be. It would. It'd be, it, 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 like, for me, it'd be like, oh, Cookie Mountain for me is like a 9.1, for you it's an 8.9, and it's like flipped for the other. It's like right. you, Dear Science is a 9.1, for me it's an 8.9. So, and, and, and I don't want to give the impression at all that I don't like Return to right. Cookie Mountain. I really love that right. record, and I and I love all that they're doing with the production right. on there. I, if I had to Desert Island them, if I had to pick one to just go with me, all I'm saying is it would be Dear Science. All right. For me, and for me, it would be Cookie Mountain, and that was Agree to Disagree. That was your Agree to Disagree. Let me ask you this, though. Quick follow-up to that. Has TV on the radio peaked? They've definitely peaked, right? They peaked with those At, records. Yes. So this leads me to an interesting discussion, is a lot of those 2000s indie bands that... Were just seemed to be unstoppable. Animal Collective, TV on the radio. You could say you could throw the Strokes in there, who we've talked about ad nauseum. Yeah. You could throw in like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could throw in a lot of other people. Interpol. They have not been able to find their sea legs in the new decade. I'd say TV on the radio has done a better. It has job done than the a best, lot. but they haven't come close to the to what those two albums were. I would say right. I'd say they've done a better job than a lot of than those the bands. Like a lot of the other ones have taken a a nosedive. Yeah, in some ways, and I, I think that with um, I mean, obviously they had the sort of um, tragic death of their bass player. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a big thing. Mm-hmm. But I think what happens with a lot of bands is they reach a point in their life where they're still young enough and inspired enough and experienced enough. There's a hotbed. There's a couple year period where you're still all the things I just said. You're still young enough you've reached experience touring and recording albums together and writing songs and there's that like second, third, fourth album surge of albums that are just young and anxious and sort of like trying to get found out enough. Yeah. Mixed in with just enough experience where you hit your, you click and it's perfect. Yeah. And there's always that sort of disparity later on. So like Nine Types of Light and Seeds are good records. I like a lot of songs on both of those. Um, But I, I just think, yeah, I don't know how TV on the radio could get back I don't know if they can and it's the same deal with Animal Collective it's like look you you peaked yeah Yeah, you're probably not gonna release another Feels or Merryweather or you know you're not Strawberry Jam you're not gonna do it what is I think what's gonna be really really interesting is to see who are the bands 
So say we're like compare it to a timeline of a, of an artist we listen to from years ago. So yeah. compare like TV on the radio to someone like Bob Dylan. Yep. Or Led Zeppelin. Okay, so through the first 10 years of both of those artists' careers, they do some of the most groundbreaking, interesting things they're going to do. They peak a few albums in. It's great. Any number of these bands could go the Led Zeppelin route where they have a couple late albums that don't pan out. Or yep. they could go the Bob Dylan route where they have several surges. They like, reinvent. They reinvent, retool. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, sign a couple people in free agency. And, <laughs> yeah, that's and, right. And put a couple on a max new, contracts yeah, out there. Or do, and do a Paul Simon and release a yep. Graceland yep. late in life. So who knows who yep. the bands are that are qualified to do yep. that. Um, but it is going to be interesting to see. It's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Great point. Quick thing before you wrapped up, wrap up. Um, KD... Signs with the Golden State Warriors. That's right. The biggest tragedy that no one's talking about okay. is that line yeah. on the on the Drake song. Um, it's on fuck, I forget. Oh, it's Weston Road flows. Yeah. It, he's he goes see it rain, OKC, Oklahoma City Thunder, whatever, KD. He has a KD Oklahoma City Thunder reference. People, that's not relevant anymore. That's the big tragedy of this. No, and and actually, the funny thing is, is like all the lyrics about Drake waiting for people in his mansion and like getting buzzed up were so relevant to everyone that you know you'd think you could take a hit with, with but no, like that. but no, I, I don't guess know. Not. That's that's a good point, and I think that it is in fact the biggest single tragedy. It is. Did you see the videos of the kids crying or one kid crying? No, so I didn't watch those because I think those are. A cheap ploy for for retweets and, and views. But here's the thing: if you told nine year old, ten year old Jake that Paul Pierce was leaving the team, I would have cried. Yeah, there's no doubt. I liked him that much. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's a good point. Little NBA bites segment here. Yeah, NBA bites. I mean, what do you think about this Warriors team? It's almost unfair. I still can't fully wrap my head around it. Like KD had his press conference today where he was holding up the Durant. Did you watch Warriors it? jersey? No, I just I saw it on Twitter. I still can't wrap my head around it. I can't either. It's crazy. Uh, how it's crazy. are you going to stop that team? They can't go 73 and they 9. They won't. Though, they right? won't. They're going to be smarter about it. They, they won't go 73 and 9. The but thing is, is like now they could do it easier theoretically than they did theoretically, last Theoretically. But they won't. They won't because think they won't about, click for think a about this. Weeks. People, every single team is going to be giving their all against the Warriors every night because they're like, these are, these are the top dogs. If we beat them, it's a big deal. Right. So it's going to be like... They're, every team's going to be coming hard for them. It won't happen. Also, it's going to take a little bit of time for them to figure shit out. That's what I was going to say, is that so, it's going to take them a little while to They will win the championship, though. Yeah, they the, will. I was just going to say, they're just going to be a buzzsaw late regular yeah. season playoffs, yeah. finals. You can't... There's nothing you can do against a, a a combo of KD, Steph, Clay, and Draymond in the playoffs. You can't. You can't do... There's nothing you can do. How can you... I don't even you understand can't. how you You literally cannot. Because even if it comes down to coaching, say you have you come up with a good coaching... Popovich can't do shit against them. What are you going to draw up that's going to stop them? Nothing. Because just think about a, a Kevin Durant, Steph Curry pick and roll. I, you, what do you do? You don't switch. You can't switch. It's devastating. What do you do? I don't know. That's NBA Bites. Um... <laughs> Stay tuned. Maybe maybe we branch out. Maybe we branch out the network into an NBA podcast come new season. Who I would knows? enjoy talking about that. That'd be cool. I love. We could I, get a couple other people on who like the NBA. That would be fun. That'd I've be been, cool. I've been getting more and more back into the NBA. Yeah, uh, that'd be cool. My heyday was the, the early 2000s, the, the day of the ISO. 
where you had Paul Pierce in it, Boston. It reminds you just T-Mac. like like guys like Jerry Stackhouse who oh. just like are they're going to the rim all the top time. Top two three players of all Steve time. Steve Francis. Top two three players of all time, Sean. <laughs> This and is, that was NBA Bites. This has been an all-time, pretty scattered episode. Eclectic episode of, of the Listening Pod. In and out. Yeah. We had Mitski, we had TV on the radio, and we had Stevie Franchise. Blood Orange. Blood Orange. Yeah. Blood Orange. Yeah. With yeah. T-Mac doing dinner served dunks. I love, I love T-Mac. Off the heezy. I love T-Mac. Which of these records do you think is his favorite? Blood, uh, Orange. Blood Orange. Yeah. Blood Orange, probably. Maybe we get him on the pod. We'll get him on. Big front of the pod, T-Mac. T-Mac will come on next yeah. week. That's, um, that's, the, that's a Jake and Sean guarantee. guarantee. Yeah, so stay tuned for T-Mac. Thanks for listening to the first episode in the new house. Um, see you next week. I think that's that. So the disadvantage, Sean, of doing this in another house is that who knows who might be listening. One of our roommates could. Well, listen I could tell you it, it's it's two two potential people because right. one of them is working. Okay. The other two. That's it. That's it. It's the only options. For like that, that, like maybe we don't want them to hear us spoil the pot. Just get a sneak preview. Yeah, yeah I mean, we should charge for that. Yeah. So uh, we had quite the weekend moving in. We're gonna talk about it on the episode, but uh, well, you know who else had quite the weekend was was shock jock, Jacques. He did, and he's on his way again late. Yeah, Always late. Yeah, of course he's late. Routinely, yeah, he's late. gonna have to find my bedroom too. Yeah. Well, he he came over to see the place. We figured, hey, you know. Uh, uh that must be him. Hold on. All right, come in, come in. Oh, there he is. Hey, right. Jacques. Hey, Jacques. Yeah, how's it going, guys? Hey, how, what do you think of the new place? Looks great, guy. I, I mean, uh, except for all these decorations up on the wall, you got paintings and stuff. I don't know. Not uh, decoration. What? What are you talking? Not about? for me. You guys have like you don't. Paintings? You don't have any paintings or any anything on your your walls. Guess what color the shock jocks walls are? Black. Black. Why? As the ace of spades, buddy. So uh, shock, you. Uh, how'd you find the place? We didn't give you the address. You just like texted me and said you were coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I have my ways. I know some people. Who do you know that knows that we live I here? I know some people. So what did you what did would you invite me over? Well, for? I mean, we saw that you had quite the Fourth of July weekend on Twitter. We're yeah. a little concerned about you. Yeah, it looked like you went on a four day bender. What's going on? Right. Yeah, well, I've been looking for a platform to explain myself, guys. Well, so I appreciate okay. you having me on. Okay, even though you have like how many listeners do you have? <laughs> Can't be more than the morning show. Okay, all right. Well, but I'll tell you something. So sure. I, had, I had quite the weekend Fourth of July. Got to go big for uh, for America, guys. You know. Uh, and uh, so Wait, I, let me ask you this, Shock Shock. Do you support the troops? Do I might leave? I've half a mind to leave right now for even asking me. Is there one troop you like more than the do other? Do you see my tattoo? Oh, okay. Yeah, I noticed that crudely drawn bald eagle. Support every troop is what it says. Okay, yeah. Got it this weekend. So is that when you were shit faced? Uh, so I go out uh, Wednesday night, Thursday night, whatever. Night. Order a beer. And I might you might have seen it. I tweeted about this actually. Oh, I saw it. I'm in love with Twitter, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, you actually turned me on to that. Yeah, it, 
you've been bullying us a lot on Twitter. Yeah, Jacques, you like I didn't know you hated the podcast so much. You right. usually you're kind of a dick. But yeah, I, I don't even know why we invited you. All right, but guys, here's the thing: your Twitter is weak and soft and cushy, and about all about Indian feelings and and uh, feminism. My Twitter's about all rock all the time. Balls to the walls, baby. Come on. So, At shock, junk, shock, act, Let me get this straight. It's not your handle, Jock. You mean like the shitty gifts and hashtag freedom to rock things you're tweeting all the time? That's that's what's cool. That's what puts the asses in the seats, Sean. And if you if you two losers could figure that out, you'd be you know you'd be on your way to a few hundred more followers like your boy. Also, you have Jacques, You have like thirty nine followers, and I don't know. Just tell us about your weekend. All right. So I go to the bar, right? Now get this. I order an America beer. I, I make this very clear. I re- I must have emphasized it five six times. Okay. Bartender comes back, and she gives me a regular Budweiser. So you know what I did? What? I threw it in her fucking face. Whoa. And whoa. I can swear on a podcast, right? Yeah, yeah but I like guess, it's, man. it's not okay that you threw this back at this innocent bartender's face. Why would you Shock, do that? that wasn't cool. You wouldn't do the same? No, absolutely. First of all, I wouldn't be ordering, I wouldn't adamantly be ordering in America, and I certainly wouldn't be throwing it in anyone's face. Unbelievable, you guys. So anyways, this is what happened. So I'll admit I went a little too far. I had a okay. few too many drinks, but here's the thing, guys. I found my way to salvation. I drank through the rest of the weekend. I was sober for 15 hours between July 3rd and July 4th. You gotta drink for America. For the troops. But I've been sober since. Ever since the Monday show where I drank a little. <laughs> so, it's now Thursday. Ah. <laughs> it sounds like you just cracked a beer. It's Thursday night, Sean. You gotta have a, gotta have a beer with the Thursday night. What about... I've been sober all week. Okay, Jacques, you're right, you of, earned it. Seems like you have an issue with with drinking, and the yeah, point of sobriety is to. I'm a little concerned because it, it seemed like on Twitter you were you got into some trouble, you got into some some bad ways over the weekend. I'm I, a little concerned. I would be lying if I said I remembered most of that. I would be lying. Okay. All right. I, I don't know, man. Like, man. look, can we like lay back on? Like, I'm fine with you rocking out, going balls to the wall. Is that what you said? Sure did, Sean. If you guys tried a little harder to rock a little more, you might have a better show, better program. You know what? And okay. I've noticed this. The episodes I come on, more listens for you guys. Uh, yeah, maybe. Chuck, we even noticed that. My, as I, don't, a, I don't know. There's it no could correlation. Just be a coincidence. You've been on like two episodes. Yeah. And like we're really considering having you not. Is there a reason you're here, by the way? Like, are you yeah, going like, to talk about anything of substance? Yeah. Like, you just came by to see our place and like shit on us for not rocking that hard? Yeah, guys, listen. Here's the thing. First of all, some studio you got here. I see one rock poster and a bunch of pansy-ass scenic photographs. Okay, okay. Another thing. You should have more beer for the people who come on this show. I, you, you only offered me the one. Yeah, because we're afraid you're going to go off on another four-day bender. I'm going to tweet about this later. All right, yeah. All, all right, right, guys. i got to get out of here. All Thanks right, for having me. All right. This uh, has been great, I guess. Well, I'll be back again. Thanks, Jock. Yeah, thanks, man. All right. All right. Off he goes. See you, Shock. Jock. Jock. Unbelievable. I'm I'm worried about that guy. He, dude, it's been bad. It's, he'll figure it out. Yeah, he, I think, 
I think this is just the where he lives. That's yeah, some deep. It's sort of a deep emotional strife there yeah, for him. I don't know what's going on. He's got some out. stuff he's got to resolve got some, and work it out. It sounds like he's like a, a sneaky misogynist. Yeah, dude. How about him cracking a beer? Like just, just that was coming, just that was one of our beers. We we well actually look, dude. That was a Michelob. We don't have those. He oh, that's said we offered point. him one, with, I think to make him sound better. That's a good. He brought that. Did it was in his back pocket, dude. It was in his leather. Leather jacket pocket. Oh, it's too hot for that right now. To be wearing a jacket? Yeah. Too hot. Too hot. Unbelievable. Maybe, maybe, maybe we dive into the show. We should. We'll dive. Give in. him a follow at <laughs> Shock Jacques XXL. Yeah. We're, we're obligated to say yeah, it. By the mother station. Yeah, please. XXL. But seriously, maybe the worst follow on the internet. Yeah, not good. All right. Let's go. All right. Three, two, one.